The following talk was given at the Sati Center for Buddhist Studies in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at sati.org. Yes, um, I'm happy that we um, share um, same interest, uh, not only in the Dhamma in general, but also particularly in this topic, um, the five kanda, the five aggregates, as you might uh, be familiar with uh, 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 translating it. And we will together explore the meaning of this uh, very important um, inventory of our experience. So what are they, these five uh, kanda? And I hope you will bear with me when I, um, out of my own habit, uh, leave some of the Pali terms uh, untranslated after explaining them, uh, like the term kanda. I personally, I, I did not yet come up with a perfect um, one-word uh, translation that fits it perfectly. So. Let's leave it for now at uh, under. So there are the five facets of our experience, or we could call them building blocks of our whole existence. And um, these five categories of somatic and mental factors encompass all our any possible experience we humans can have in this world. Um, and each of these kandas. Uh, has its own uh, function in the whole machinery that we are used to call our experience. Um, so each of them have another contribution to make to our um, experience. And as a Vipassana topic, it's a bit less popular than let's say, for example, working with the six senses. Mainly, I think, because it takes a little bit more effort to develop these uh, five kandas as objects of awareness. When we work with six senses, immediately everyone knows this is seeing, this is hearing. There's not much uh, of an explanation or investigation necessary. But here, um, it takes a bit of patience and time, but um, uh, I promise uh, it's worthwhile the extra effort um, because uh, in this uh, method of uh, in this this um, way of categorizing our experience uh, via the five kandas, we discover a thorough inventory of ourselves, um, and not that uh, not as a cut off version as we usually. Um, uh, the work when we do the six senses, we sometimes we're even instructed by meditation teachers to cut off and to to leave it as the, at the bare minimum of sense uh, impingement, um, and so we we leave out uh, good parts of uh, what makes our uh, the the completeness of our experience, mm -hmm. and. Um, needless to say, that's uh, extremely important for, for a full comprehension of all the aspects of our experience.
I may also add that um, mm, developing insight into the five khandas um, is a frequently mentioned topic in the suttas, um, especially when the Buddha discusses uh, insight, wisdom, liberation, these uh, really fundamental things, um, um, the, close to the core of the Dhamma. Mm -hmm. uh, again and again, uh, this topic of the five khandas uh, comes up. So uh, that's another reason why we uh, um, should be curious and should be interested in, in understanding uh, not only understanding the five khandas on on a theoretical level, but also maybe uh, find a practical approach of how to make them part of our meditation. <clears throat> so it's um, to get to know these khandas better. It's important to get to know um, their functions and characteristics. So um, which part of our experience is described? Uh, by the kanda of uh, sensations of perceptions, for example, and to recognize them basically in our experience, mm. then it's important uh, to see to to learn to see their causes uh, in order to see their dependent nature. We understand it has a there's a underlying cause that causes this phenomenon, this particular kanda then that's an uh, uh, important uh, argument we can, an important uh, 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 point to convince ourselves about the uh, unworthiness of getting attached to this uh, particular kanda. So the function and characteristics, the cause uh, underlying it, and are also very important, uh, their behavior in real time. And what I mean by that is uh, uh, to witness directly with uh, mindfulness and a clear compre comprehension the impermanent nature, um, this, their nature of uh, just uh, changing from moment to moment and the implication of non-self that uh, underlies the impermanence. Um, so I prepared a few sutta passages for you uh, to look at um, because I myself found them extremely useful on my journey to um, uh, understand, get a better understanding of this kind of topic and uh, some nice illustrations and metaphors uh, similes that might make it a bit more accessible or digestible to us. In general, um, I'm a big fan of uh, similes in the suttas. Uh, for one, they are efficient tools uh, for our investigation. So um, they can spark our interest, our curiosity to to get a deeper grasp of this or that concept. Mm. They are usually um, historically quite reliable because uh, as we all know, um, uh, the Sutta Pitaka is handed down to us over many, many generations and uh, 
many hundreds and thousands of years. So uh, uh, we have to assume that this this or that word might be slightly altered in, in transmission, but a, but a whole simile uh, that still makes sense, that's still working and intact uh, for us. Um, it's like a time capsule of uh, authenticity, so we can uh, 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 have a good feeling about uh, the originality of this uh, uh, similes. They are easy to remember, and as uh, many of you might be aware, uh, the ability to remember something is a big part of our whole mindfulness practice, and um, a, a good simile that helps us remember a certain uh, aspect, a certain um, quality, um, is also very useful to um, to guide and to protect our uh, uh, direct application when it comes to mindfulness in meditation. I should mention that all the sutta passages um, we will. I'll be working today um, uh, stem from the uh, Sutta Central uh, uh, translations of the, of Venerable Sujato, and I uh, made only minor uh, um, adjustments to my own uh, preferences. But the bulk of uh, work with this translation uh, and the merits accrued should all go to Venerable. Sujato. So now um, we'll be reading from the Samyutta Nikaya 22.95, the Sutta of the Foam Lump Simile. And here we get a whole array of five very interesting metaphors for uh, each of the five Khandas. And we will right away start with uh, the first Khanda with Rupa, um, which I prefer to translate as corporeality. More about that later, but let's first hear what the Buddha came up with uh, as a simile here. Now, because suppose this Ganges river was carrying along a big lump of foam and a person with clear eyes would see it and contemplate it examining it thoroughly, and it would appear to them as completely void, hollow, and without essence. For what essence could there be in a lump of foam? In the same way, for example, a bhikkhu, of course any practitioner um, can be uh, uh, meant here, a bhikkhu sees and contemplates any kind of corporeality at all, past, future, or present, internal or external, coarse or fine, inferior or superior, near or far, examining it thoroughly. And it appears to them as completely void, hollow, and without essence. For what essence could there be in corporeality? So, um, we will try to gather a few informations um, about uh, corporeality. Uh, 
mainly from the Sutta, uh, but also uh, any bits and pieces of information we can get um, from the suttas, we'll try to um, um, put together so we get a good impression of um, what the rupa, what corporeality could possibly mean. So here we here we heard at first uh, about a, a foamy, a non-solid nature um, that's only discernible at keen observation. We heard about uh, an essencelessness and gleaning from other suttas, like the another famous sutta about the Kandas, the Full Moon Sutta, it uh, um, connected this course Sutta uh, uh, Samyutta Nikaya 2282. Mm. We learn about the the, the underlying cause of each uh, this, of these five Kandas. And the underlying cause for corporeality are the four elements, earth, water, wind and fire. So corporeality is connected to them or caused by those four elements. Now putting all this together, we can conclude that Rupa, this corporeality, equals the experience of having a body. So um, body as we experience it is not a solid thing as we might be used to ex uh, perceiving it, um, especially uh, when we rely on our visual sense and the perception stemming from our visual sense, we easily might get uh, uh, the impression that the body is a solid thing. When, when I look at other people's bodies, they appear to me as solid things. So I, I might, uh, have the impression that my own body is a solid thing. But, um, and uh, uh, just as a side note, uh, there are many instances when we contemplate about the body in the Dhamma. But here, uh, specifically when we talk about Rupa, corporeality, uh, we don't contemplate about the body as a thing, uh, but we rather want to learn something about the body as an experience. So that's why I chose to use this maybe bit um, unfamiliar word of corporeality. Hope that's a word that makes sense to you. Mm. Um, so it's not it's not at all this um, this this. Uh, this bulky solid thing, uh, but rather a foamy, floating, tingling, streaming um, feeling of our body. When we sit in meditation, close our eyes, and we we wish to um, directly experience our body. That's how it feels. So we, uh, that's uh, the first instance where we can get a nice uh, uh, impression of how these similes the Buddha gives us work. Now, when we sit in meditation and we try to observe uh, corporeality, it might actually really um, feel quite similar to this instance uh, the Buddha describes here, of a man sitting at the bank of a river. And uh, we can imagine usually see, just seeing something floating uh, by. And at first we might think, oh, that's, some, that's some, something solid. That's some real... Uh, 
object floating by. And just uh, when we very keenly uh, uh, observe it, we see, oh, it's just a lump of foam. There's no, there's no substance to it. And so like that, when we start in, in meditation, and I, I really look forward to, to uh, try out this kind of meditation with you afterwards. Um, when you concentrate on, uh, basically it's, it's the friction of the internal and the internal external elements. So our body is made out of the four elements, including our sense organs. And the external world is made out of four elements. And whenever they come together, there arises some friction, some, some, um, exchange some inter interactivity and that's something we can uh, focus our attention at mm. and the tool to do that is yoniso manasikara which is uh, also uh, alluded to in the in the text uh, the best translation uh, for that might be radical attention. My uh, Dhamma teacher in Sri Lanka, the Venerable Katukurundinyanananda, I don't know whether any one of you uh, might have heard of him. Uh, he preferred to translate it as radical attention, um, especially because the word, the word radical stems from radix or radix in Latin, and that means the root. So radical basically means to go going to the root or the the, the origin of something. And that's what we do here with Yonisomanisikar. We 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 penetrate the the surface, the facade, so to say, of now uh in this instance thinking, well I I very well know what the body is and this is the body and this is me and there's no doubt about it. So we we transcend that, so to say. We we, we try to look deeper and in in a real observation in the present moment we see oh wow there's uh, there's this uh, uh, tingly uh, streaming uh, floating um, feeling but there's no solid object to be found so we see there's a difference between um, the perception of person with just ordinary awareness and a perception of a person with a radical or um, um, a thorough awareness that really penetrates uh, this uh, layer of illusion. Then let's have a look at the next simile. That's about Vedana, which I uh, uh, chose to translate as sensation. Uh, many of you might know it as feeling, and I purposefully uh, uh, try to avoid fe uh, the translation of feeling because it might uh, give us the idea this is about our feelings and emotions, uh, whereas Vedana means something slightly different, but uh, we'll come to that. Um, Let's hear about this Vedana metaphor. Suppose 
It was the time of autumn when the rain was falling heavily and a bubble on the water forms and pops right away. And a person with clear eyes would see it and contemplate it, examining it carefully, and it would appear to them as completely void, hollow and insubstantial. Of what substance could there be in a water bubble? So that's um that's the picture given for Vedana, um, which basically means our interpreting sense data as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And uh, this bubble uh, described here, which seems to um, form in a puddle where the, the raindrops fall into, it only appears to be more than water, but basically it's it's all it's all the same. It's just water, and it's caused by something by a raindrop, just the same way as our sensations are caused again and again by uh, sense contact. Um, and um, share the same uh, impermanent nature uh, with this sense contact. So we should note that uh, and I'm 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 uh, collecting these facts from from other suttas now that Vedana is a mental factor. So it's not about a bodily experienced feeling. It's about a mental factor uh, that, uh, to be more precise, a part of nama, of, of conceptuality. Mm. And uh, for us it's possible to, to observe this, to watch this, rather than just uh, being um, sucked into it. So usually when we experience uh, a sensation, a pleasant sensation or an un unpleasant sensation, we might uh, experience it as uh, today I feel good or this particular thing is awful. And then of course, immediately it comes the li liking and disliking. Um, but in our meditation, we try to get to a point where we can um, observe and understand these uh, sensations rather than um, feeling they are part of us or they are, they are, they are expressions of how I really feel right now. So it's just, just uh, as a bubble, Vedana is also a fleeting and essenceless phenomenon. Um, one small interesting detail, if maybe if you if you ever watched bubbles on a on a on a puddle uh, on a rainy day, you might have noticed that um, it's not only small bubbles forming, but sometimes these small bubbles, I don't know. Uh, uh, due to which physical laws they get attracted to each other and form kind of bubble clusters. And like that, uh, uh, we also might experience in our life um, 
this uh, Vedana clusters or um, an accumulation of Vedanas or a, 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 a broad variety of um, hmm, uh, how to put it uh, of different uh, uh, objects or different stories our Vedanas are connected to. You know, I hope it makes a little bit sense. We, uh, we we can have a Vedana about something right now in this moment. Let's say uh, about our seating or the temperature in the room or something uh, like that. Or we might have a sensation about how we feel today or how we feel this week or how in general, how this year is going and then uh, past and present uh, ideas and thoughts also start to influence uh, how we feel in this moment. So this um, <clears throat> these bubbles can behave in uh, funny ways. It's not just like uh, one bubble at a time and uh, all very uh, simplistic to watch. So just as a as a side note to to um, to show that uh, although this uh, practice is very um, rewarding, it, it's at no means it is a, a simple exercise because we are so used to to believe this 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 voice of uh, Vedana, this voice of sensation. That's just interpreting sense concept context as pleasant and unpleasant and we're just uh, we're so convinced yeah that's how I feel now and so to to put any any uh, to get any chance at uh, 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 objectively observing this phenomena uh, then that's another little side note before I continue with the candles. Um we always have to um, um uh, get support from um samadhi from a uh, it's very important tool of calming the mind of preparing the mind for insights and especially in the context of sensations and also of perception, which will be the next kanda we discuss, um, the, I'd, I'd like to make a small uh, uh, note here, mm. a small rule of thumb that I personally find helpful. Uh, when we think about the essence of samadhi, the essence of um, a, a calm mind or a collected mind, mm. um, it's basically um, two qualities. It's Upekka and the Kagata. So it, uh, on the one hand, we have uh, equanimity and uh, one-pointedness. And uh, I personally found it interesting that these two uh, have a certain correlation to sensation and perception. Because without sufficient equanimity, it's very hard for us to, to, to stay put and stay in the... Uh, observing mode when it comes to sensations that are pleasant and unpleasant because they're by their sheer pleasantness and unpleasantness they continuously uh, lure us into reactivity and 
uh, opeka is a wonderful and necessary antidote to to stay to, to keep our distance from this uh, from the suction of the sheer suction of these sensations so if you want to uh, observe and watch uh, sensations and again and again you get the feeling oh, well, it I, it doesn't really work because i get so attached and i get so attracted or or, or repelled by these pleasant and unpleasant uh, experiences um we might uh, do well at uh, increasing our ability to observe with equanimity and uh the other hand one pointedness the other important factor that we gain by uh, practicing samadhi is a very important uh, tool uh, to uh, successfully observe perception uh, because a kagata um, is uh, the quality that helps us to stay really sharply in the present moment mm. and uh, as I mentioned with uh, uh, Vedana already, it's even more relevant with uh, with sanya, with perceptions, that they have this ability to stretch over time. Like, let's give me, let me give you one example. You might have a perception of this is a, a dhamma meeting now. So. Uh, um, just by this one perception, this is a Dhamma meeting. Now we 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 open, we stretch uh, out a perception over maybe one or two hours. At the same time, we have uh, micro perceptions from moment to moment. But uh, this uh, uh, spreading out of perceptions often creates the feeling of permanence because we might we might well argue and in a certain way it would be true to say well this this uh dhamma meeting um is it it uh it it might be impermanent at a certain point but right now it's going on so it appears to be permanent that's the that's the the reason for 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 permanence for the feeling of permanence in our life that we believe this stretched out perceptions. So uh, one-pointedness uh, uh, can be a very useful tool to counteract this uh, uh, stretched outness, if I may call it that, because uh, really get to see what happens from moment to moment and uh, leave less and less room for uh, this belief in a certain phenomena uh, existing unchangingly over time. But uh, that's that's the big that's the big uh, trick of uh, perceptions that they uh, create these meanings that seemingly last certain periods of time. So coming back to the kandas and to perception already, which is our next kanda. Suppose in the last month of summer at noon, a shimmering mirage appears, and the person with clear eyes would see it and contemplate it, examining it carefully, and it would appear to them as completely void, hollow, and insubstantial. For what substance could there be in a mirage? 
I've said a few things already about perception. Excuse me. So, um, Sanya, we translate it as perception. Um, what it really means, in my uh, understanding, is that this um, uh, this habit of the mind to inject meaning in um, uh, sense context, and that's exactly the meaning of this uh, simile of the mirage. Um, it creates an illusion, the illusion of permanence and the illusion of um, compactness, if you want to call it like. So it's a perception um, similar to uh, sensation. It's also caused by contact, by passa. And it's a, it's a mental interpretation of that contact. So let's say um, there's a sense contact through the sense door of the eye. And this uh, sense contact is then processed by the mind to give it a certain meaning, to give it a certain name, and uh, thereby objectifying it or, or reifying it. Mm. And without uh, proper uh, radical attention, you might easily get convinced that um, the meaning our mind just uh, so uh, slyly created is uh, um, sort of emitted by the object we are uh, watching. So we, we usually we put and reflect, oh, I just perceive it as a chair or as a clock, uh, but we just get convinced, oh, this is a clock, this is a chair, and uh, even even more convincingly, the perceptions about ourselves, about our uh, in a life, you'd easily be convinced that oh, I am a person like this and that, um, without uh, understanding that it's just a a, a mental um, interpretation into a sense content. So it's that that voice in that mental voice within us that's uh, seeming seemingly recognizing things or naming things and their meaning. And funny enough, um, it's it's a naming of things. Um, and at the same time, those things only became things by us naming them. Does that make a little bit of sense to you? So we perceive it to be a thing and then fill it with meaning and uh, memories and uh, uh, whatever we like to uh, perceive it as, and then forget that it was us who started this whole um, uh, objectification of a sense contract. I pick up a bit of uh, um, speedier pace because 
There's still a lot to talk about. Uh, Sankaras, this is the next uh, Kanda you'd like to understand. Mm. And here's a simile. Uh, it goes like this. Suppose there was a person in need of hardwood, searching, wandering in search of hardwood, they take a sharp axe and enter a forest. There they'd see a big banana tree standing uh, straight and young and grown free of defects. They would cut it down at the base, cut off the top and unroll, unroll the coiled sheets. But they wouldn't even find sap wood, much less hardwood. And a person with clear eyes would see it and contemplate it, examining it carefully, and it would appear to them as completely void, hollow and insubstantial. Of what substance could there be in a banana tree? So uh, the Sankaras, I'd like to render as activity impulses, um, are also caused by contact. And just a small uh, side note again, because the word Sankara appears in uh, uh, different uh, contexts in the suttas, and uh, People might get confused by that, but it's simply a term that does not always mean the same thing. So we also have to think about the context before we attempt the translation of the term. And in this uh, uh, Kanda context, I, I find it to be a, an apt translation to call these Sankhas activity impulses, because that's exactly what they are. They are this, um, this uh, uh, mental voice within us that recommends to do this and to do that. Mm. Interestingly, it's also caused by contact and not by the meaningfulness of these quests that come into our head. Mm. Um, and the, the, the simile gives us a nice uh, feel of how um, unsuccessful and how futile these attempts uh, uh, usually are because uh, at least for the for the mind still under the influence of ignorance uh, and uh, under under this uh, drive of identification mm, each of these little activity impulses seems like a project to make our permanent self happy in some way or other. And so uh, since there is no permanent self in these five khandas, this is an attempt that only can fail. And like this poor man searching for hardwood and uh, just uncoiling a, a, a completely woodless uh, banana trunk. I don't know whether uh, some of you might have seen the, uh, such a banana trunk in Asia or whether they grow in America even, but it's really just uh, one uh, foil or sheet after the other. And although these are really solid, massive uh, trunks from the outside, there's no wood to find in them at all. So it's quite a, a funny picture, this person trying to find hard wood to, to construct something. Uh, meaningful in his world and just uh, is left with this uh, completely useless uh, banana pieces, banana trunk pieces. But uh, 
however fruitless our attempt to follow this activity impulses might be there's always a next waiting in line for us to pick up and to take serious again and um, also here with with uh, a proper preparation and concentration of the mind um, maybe a, a rather uncomplicated or something many meditators are anyways used to because this uh, Activity impulses have a lot in common with our random uh, thought constructs, the thought stories about what we're going to do tomorrow and what we're going to buy when we go shopping after the meditation and this and that. Mm, that's a lot to do with this uh, activity impulses. So we might already be used to this, uh, uh, to this uh, mental challenge of not falling into the narrative of such a sankara but rather stepping out and just observing it and then getting to learn important things about it. <clears throat> the stepping out is always very important to uh to getting in the position of a witness rather than a victim or the uh, a person um emotionally involved in the whole thing um and then, last but not least, we have a uh, vinyana, uh, which you all might be familiar with uh, translating as uh, consciousness. And we, I personally sometimes prefer to translate it very unromantically uh, uh, as sense experience, because in my uh, 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 experience, uh, my own meditative experience, but also with other meditators, um, I have the honor to guide sometimes. Uh, this term consciousness uh, usually inspires some kind of uh, 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 mysterious awe in us, whereas in 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 the world of the Buddha, there's, there's no no place for any glorification of this term. It's uh, simply uh, the very the very fact that experience happens uh, again and again uh, caused by uh, 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 impingement of sense uh, data on our sense organs. It's a very interesting uh, metaphor we find here about Vinyana. Suppose a magician or their apprentice was to perform a magic trick at the crossroads and a person with clear eyes would see it and contemplate it, examining it carefully. And it would appear to them as completely void, hollow and insubstantial. What substance could there be in a magic trick? But this magic trick um, gave me a lot to think back in... Uh, mm, my uh, forest hermitages in Sri Lanka. And I came up with an interesting explanation that works for me in my own meditation. And I'd like to share with you now. Um, now, this, as, I, as I mentioned, Vinyana is again and again um, uh, caused by sense organs and sense the stimuli. Um, so that's, uh, that's the, the easiest way to access what uh, uh, 
consciousness means. There's actually not a term consciousness itself. It's always eye consciousness, ear consciousness, nose consciousness, um, tongue consciousness, body consciousness, or uh, mind consciousness. And the illusional nature of it is that it appears to be one compact consciousness. So, um, and at this at this uh, point, I'm not sure whether my English, my knowledge of the English language will suffice. But um, there's a difference between um, the same and the very same. Is that uh, is that uh, understandable? Now, uh, two people can have the same T-shirt, meaning they both they both have a similar T-shirt, but the very same T-shirt is only this one unique piece. And just as this is confusing in our day-to-day -day language, uh, it's also confusing uh, uh, concerning consciousness because. Um, um, Each consciousness, which separately uh, arises and passes away, always feels the same to us. It feels like uh, that's me being aware of something. So uh, by not very carefully observing this phenomenon, uh, we easily uh, come to the uh, ill-informed conclusion that it's the very same consciousness all the time. It's not only the same uh, phenomenon of consciousness arising again and again. It's the very same consciousness that's not changing, that's not impermanent, and that's the sort of the core of my experience. And that's the magic trick of consciousness. Like in many, many magic tricks work with this uh, um, the same versus the very same um, misunderstanding. Like let's say a magician has two two handkerchiefs looking exactly the same, and he, he prepared to put one in his sleeve here, and then he uh, produces a magic effect that we all think he puts the very same handkerchief here, and then it appears somewhere else. And at the same time, it was just uh, it was not one and the same handkerchief; it were two similar handkerchiefs, and like that. Uh, there's similar consciousnesses arising and passing away again and again. And to be really precise, this is a teamwork sort of, uh, of consciousness and perception because it's, uh, the repetition of the same perception, uh, creates here this magic of, uh, seemingly having a permanent consciousness. This, uh, the perception we have about consciousness itself. Which is usually, ah, oh, this is me, this is my consciousness, um, this is me cognizing, and this uh, uh, gives a wonderful uh, camouflage to the impermanent uh, arising and passing away of consciousness in the background. So, um, To make it a, uh, maybe a little bit more approachable, mm. a few uh, um, illustrations or um, 
modes of explanation about these kamdas. There's one, I, I think it originally comes from Venerable Nyana Vira, old monk, uh, uh, long past uh, away, uh, who lived in Sri Lanka. And he had this uh, mode of explaining the five kamdas in one sentence. And I found that's usually helpful for our understanding. And I slightly notify, uh, uh, modified it for my purposes. Um, so let's say, I'm sitting somewhere under a nice, pleasant, uh, shady tree on a hot summer day. So uh, if someone asked me, now please describe your experience to me, uh, my answer would sound like something like, um, there's a cool, pleasant, shady tree for sitting under felt by me. And in this sentence, we have a, uh, uh, progression uh, through all these five khandas. The fact that it feels cool, that's part of um, corporeality. The four elements are uh, connected in a way that there's coolness. A pleasant is the sensation part. Shady tree is the perception part. Uh, for sitting under would be the activity impulse and felt by me is uh, Consciousness, in this instance, body consciousness. So we have a cool, pleasant, shady tree for sitting under Feldbani. And that's a nice illustration how this, these five khandas are uh, interrelated all the time, woven into this uh, structure we uh, call our moment-to-moment uh, -moment experience. Well, and I'd have much more prepared, but I see time is are passing away too quickly and I have to skip it a few things and at the end just uh, bring it down to um, a practical approach how to work with this information and there's a, another very interesting sutta the An Anicca Sanya Sutta um, in a link discourses 22 102 and here we get a very practical uh, of, um, instruction on how to meditate uh, on these five khandas so we may experience the benefits of elimination of our sensual desires elimination of our desire for corporeality uh, elimination of all desire for being, elimination of ignorance, and the eradication of all conceit I am. That's um, the preamble here. Then the Buddha gives a few nice uh, similes, uh, highlighting um, how, uh, highlighting the, that an insight in these five khandas is a universal key to um, freeing our mind from uh, suffering, regardless uh, the specific details we usually uh, uh, um, put into our suffering and make such, such uh, long stories about why I'm suffering because people are not nice to me and uh, uh, life is not fair and this and that. And it has a thousand different faces but uh, we can all reduce it 
zur unskilled uh, um, handling of these five kandas. A handling of the five kandas that's not in line with reality. And on bringing our mind back to reality by uh, practicing vipassana and practice, practicing uh, anicca sanya, the perception of impermanence regarding the five kandas, we can bring our mind uh, to a place where we have, so to say, a universal a key to any uh, uh, episode of suffering that might occur in our life. And these uh, similes um, uh, give a nice uh, uh, sense of, of this uh, uh, all-encompassing uh, universal um, freedom uh, from suffering. Because it's like one of my favorites here with the bunch of mangoes. When a stalk of a bunch of mangoes is cut, all the mangoes attached to the stalk will follow along. So we don't have to pluck each mango separately. If we cut it at the stem of it, at the stalk of it, then all the mangoes come along with it. So like in the same way, if we cut suffering as at its root, at um, the ignorance we have about these five khandas, then all the different um, of, uh, uh, manifestations of this is suffering and, and, and this life situation is not pleasant and that uh, uh, life situation um, uh, is suffering to me. All these uh, uh, dukkha mangoes, they, they all follow along with it. So and how is this perception of impermanence developed and cultivated so that we may reap these benefits? And then we are introduced to a three-step uh, method. Such is corporeality, such is the arising of corporeality, and such is the disappearing of corporeality. And um, the same for the other four khandas. You always have this uh, three-step plan of firstly, and um, most of my explanations now aimed at that, uh, identifying a sense of uh, uh, recognizing in our own experience uh, the particular kanda. Understand, ah, this is not just some fancy uh, theory I can uh, learn by heart. This, uh, this rupa kanda or this vedana kanda, this means something, in, this uh, addresses something in my direct personal experience. And uh, uh, we develop the skill to really um, transplant the theory into our own personal space, so to say. And uh, by realizing, ah, um, now when there's a tingling sensation on all my sense organs, that's uh, corporeality. And when the, when the mind weighs in and says, oh, this is unpleasant, and oh, this is pleasant, ah, that's uh, sensation. Mm. So that's the first step to to clear the field to to get uh, to get our target in focus, so to say. <clears throat> and once we have our target in focus, we can start to observe its behavior. And we might realize that this um, um, corporeality, for example, is a process of of continuous arising and then arising and arising. Whether we wish for it or not, it arises anyways because. Uh, the cause for its arising is not us wishing it to arise. The cause for it ar arising is uh, sense contact. And that by itself, just just uh, 
seeing how we get overwhelmed and, and attacked by corporeality and sensation and the other kinds, that alone can give us uh, enough reason to get disenchanted with these uh, five kinds, to, 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 to get the ammunition for the mind, so to say, to, to turn away our interest from um, getting involved in these kandas on uh, at our search for some uh, permanent happiness, which we might then claim to be us and ourselves. Right. So that was now just a very quick um, explanation of the practice, uh, recognizing it, starting to watch its behavior. Uh, part one of behavior is its continuous arising, uh, which may include our understanding of the causes that are necessary for it to rise, which I mentioned already, are uh, for uh, corporeality, the four elements, for uh, sensation, perception, and activity impulses, it's always uh, sense contact, and for uh, consciousness, to make it a bit more uh, easily approachable, uh, the, also the working of the senses, right? and. The other side of the coin, so to say, of watching the behavior of these kandas is uh, witnessing not their continuous arising, but their, them continuously vanishing and disappearing. So each each uh, tiny episode of uh, corporeality of sensation is in a continuous um, uh, process of uh, vanishing out of our hands, of, of being being uh, uh, dragged out of our uh, focus of uh, experience. And that's something uh, with a little effort, with a little patience, we can start to directly witness and um, observe in our meditation. And that's um, the plan for us to try and do that after a short break. Um, I hope there were there were some interesting bits and pieces. I'm very sorry now that I could not finish all my um, prepared uh, uh, dhamma uh, bits and pieces because there's so much more to say about this topic. Mm. But I may it suffice as a first uh, uh, introduction into this practice, uh, maybe an inspiration to get. Uh, hold of this uh, approach uh, to Vipassana and I think we plan to make a five minutes break and after that five minutes we will together attempt to make guided meditation uh, <clears throat> on these five khandas and after that we'll have the opportunity to discuss anything concerning this topic. All right then thanks a lot for your attention and I will see you uh, for our meditation in about five minutes. So we'll meditate about half an hour. Um, and simply due to time limitations, it will be uh, 
a rather quick transition from one kanda to the next but nevertheless maybe you get the first impression of this technique uh, which of course you can um, uh, uh, time more uh, carefully at home um, many of my uh, students and co-meditators they uh, practice uh, daily one of those five khandas or even weekly to get a real uh, a deep uh, sense of where to find those khandas and get a, a good impression of their impermanent behavior so as to er eradicate all this um, um, identification used suffering but for now we'll do them one after the other to give, to give you a first clip For starters, please bring your attention to the in-breathing and out-breathing of the body. Allowing your attention to settle quite naturally in the present moment, in the body. Remember, Samadhi, the mind, is there to create equanimity, one-pointedness. A readiness to observe, to learn, comprehend. Each mindfully experienced breath 
helps create, frame, awareness around our body. framework of presence we use to observe ourselves, take an inventory of our experience, starting with corporeality, friction of the four elements, displays itself it's tingling and streaming the bodily experience let me try to adjust focus point of our awareness Till we have the feeling, well, this is our reality. It's our reality that I'm looking at right now.
you observe the behavior of this corporeality. Continuous arising and again arising out of sheer presence of the elements, whether we like it or not. The rising of corporeality. watching the same phenomenon just from a slightly different angle you witness the continuous vanishing disappearance corporeality little tingle elemental friction is lost from us moment to moment This is the vanishing of reality. Switch to another part of experience. Sensation is pleasant, unpleasant, neutral feeling. Very personal, 
very um, important part of our experience. Trial is all the equanimity we may master to observe sensation. Recognizing, ah, oh, this is sensation. We witness the arising sensation, bubble by bubble. Just continues to stream in, whether we wish for it or not. Arising of sensation. At the same time, none of them can stay pleasant, they're unpleasant, they're neutral. Each sensation is removed from us moment by moment with the vanishing 
sensation. Next, try to find the thing maker, name giver in our mind, Sanya perception, that which bestows meaning to every sense contact. This is perception. We find point of focus where we can really see for ourselves this is perception. And try to witness the arising of perception. There's no way we can influence or avoid the arising of perception. It's caused by 
mere presence of sense contact is involuntariness itself the indicator against the self nature of perception. This is the arising perception. Each of this sense of uh, this uh, perception, mirages, has to vanish again. Small ones concerning the direct present. If you catch a few bigger ones concerning perceptions about you, your situation, the past and future. None of those can stay, become part of a permanent self. Try to comprehend what this means, this vanishing of perception.
strongly connected to sensations and perceptions, are activity impulses. That agenda of the mind rearranges itself from moment to moment, always finding something to do, the perceived and sensed so-called objects. Voice, mental voice that gives us things to do. This is activity impulse. Let's try not to believe in them, to obey them. Simply observe them. So often in their continuous, unasked for arising. Arising of activity impulses.
same time, release activity impulses vanish again and again. We don't buy in the urgency of the agendas. We just slip by, vanish. Finally, consciousness, and consciousness, rising and passing away, and try to follow the prioritized dense consciousness. Air consciousness to body consciousness to mind consciousness back to body consciousness jumping from one place to the next funnily enough you can observe and watch this this is consciousness The rising of consciousness too is involuntarily and stop it by wishing it away because its causes are not within our will 
provision. Exposed to the continuous arising of consciousness. can challenge that perception, consciousness is ourselves. And pointing the focus of our awareness, not on the surface, on the facade of this self-like feeling, delving deeper to the continuous vanishing one consciousness after the other. Then we rest for a few moments. Try to absorb whatever we learned in this meditation. 
trying to understand this really means? Does it mean this insight to the impermanence of all facets of our experience? It could mean a painful struggle for a permanent self and peacefully be relinquished as we accept true nature this inventory of our experience Thanks for um, joining me in meditation. Sorry for the speed run, but I hope you got a first glimpse of uh, what it can mean to practice the uh, insight with the five khandhas. And now <clears throat> would be still some time left for a discussion or any questions or comments from your side. I'm happy to um, answer or comment. Thank you, very, thank you very much. Um, Bante, I wanted to ask you, this being my first time that I do this meditation, um, I find that it is, in a sense, much easier to penetrate the illusion of sensation, particularly physical sensations, uh, and even of activity of impulses than the appearance, the visual appearance of things. Because, um, you know, if I see my hand or my foot, it looks uh, very solid and continuous. Mm -hmm. And it feels a little artificial to tell myself, uh, well, it's just a, view, a visual illusion, you know, like a film mm -hmm. that goes very fast and it looks continuous. So I don't know, how do you work with the visual form? Well, um, I think that's a, that's a very common, uh, thing because us humans, we are simply so visually, uh, inclined. Um, and, uh, one very simple thing most of us do when we meditate is we close our eyes, um, to get a little, uh, advance on, on this problem. 
And then I just recommend to get used to doing it uh, uh, where it is uh, the easiest. And then um, start to work uh, in areas where it feels not so Okay. Uh, obvious. Okay. Start right. with those. Thank, <clears throat> thank you. Hi, Bonte. Thank you for your teaching today. Um, I was wondering if you could say a little bit about um, one of the first passages that you read um, that discussed um, there not being any essence to ourselves and our experience. Um, I wonder if you could say a little bit about the relation between essence and nature, if there is any connection. I don't fully get the question. Between essence and nature, because those are all nature similes? Um, I I guess I was thinking more in the sense that um, like we're looking at things as not having an essence, but can we look Mm -hmm. at things as having a nature? Like, do we have a nature that's separate from an essence, if that makes sense? Well, the essencelessness uh, is the nature of things, I would reply. Um, uh, I I might note that uh, interesting, in, interestingly, um, in the uh, Theravada Suttas, the the term of essencelessness is not uh, very often uh, mentioned. Now, that now the Sutta we discussed today. Uh, is one place where it is mentioned, but usually the Buddha ref- uh, prefers the term anatta, non-self, uh, because I think it it gives us a clearer implication of, of what the Buddha is uh, um, uh, wanting to convey. Uh, when we when we talk about essencelessness, uh, immediately as as um, uh, you ask uh, 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 rightly, <clears throat> the question arises: well, What what is meant by essence? So we have to understand the Buddha here as uh, just uh, paraphrasing, uh, using another term for uh, uh, non-self here when he talks about essence, essenceless. But uh, uh, in nature, at, uh, um, a nature of things is 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 a bit uh, difficult to. To, to think of, especially when we start to realize that the thingness of things is uh, itself uh, uh, construed by our mind. So, but we could, we can talk about uh, certain car- uh, uh, um, behaviors all of our experiences display. The, those are the three uh, lakanas, the, the, I'll say the, the characteristics of everything we experience. And so there maybe you find an equivalent to the term, the nature of things, uh, <clears throat> rather being concerned about how they behave uh, in terms of how they behave through time, rather than trying to find a certain uh, uh nature or quality they inherently possess. If that makes sense. I don't Does it make sense to you? That does. Thank you. That's helpful.
Thank you, Bhante. Um, I had a question about, like, um, during the meditation, it felt pretty intuitive to see the arising and passing away of some of the khandas, but not others. So, um, Sanya in particular and the Sankaras also felt, um, because you had talked about how they sort of stretch in time, it uh-huh. felt to see the passing <laughs> like it just felt like they came and then stayed yeah um, like the you know the sort of more ephemeral and permanent nature was more obvious with the other khandas and mm-hmm. suggestions about how to see the passing away with Sanya yeah. particularly es- yeah especially with Sanya um, as I mentioned in the talk um that's that's this kind of uh, uh, permanent uh, uh, permanency of uh, uh, creating machine because uh when we are uh, 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 enticed by asanya uh, we uh, tend to focus on the attributes we 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 uh, project on a certain object and uh, that not necessarily changes in the sense that it that we uh perceive another quality in the object right so um as i mentioned a uh, uh, a crucial tool of tackling this uh, uh stubborn uh, sanya is a strongly focused mind that really can keep its focus uh, very straight uh at a narrow point in the present moment and then we can uh uh we can uh l- let those um sanya clouds the sanya brackets if you, i like to think of it as brackets like in a in a in a sentence where you put something in brackets uh then we can see how it there still is a transition or a movement uh taking place uh even while this bracket is intact, right? Uh, another another trick uh, to break it down uh, might be to uh, watch out for um, smaller sanyas that together build this bigger sanya. Like for example, if I have the perception this is our dhamma meeting now, this is a quite uh, uh, widely stretched. Uh, Sanya bracket, but I could uh, uh, pay more attention to the smaller ones. Like this is my smartphone device that I use for this uh, session, or this is my meditation clock here, and these are the different people I see on my screen. And so I get, I get, I, I break it up in smaller bits that are not so um, intriguing. And okay. And another thing you might notice is that uh, Asanya is uh, all the harder to tackle, uh, the more uh, intense the Vedana is that accompanies it. So if we have a perception that's accompanied by a strong pleasant or unpleasant sensation, automatically it gets more weight in our mind. And uh, automatically we are... Um, maybe more afraid of it if it's an unpleasant uh, sensation or more interested in it uh, if it's a pleasant one. And then we, again, we are um, um, 
disabled to 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 see the impermanence behind the facade. Those are very helpful. Thank you so much, Bhante. Thank you for the question. Okay. Um, thank you. I I I heard you say um, that sankaras mean different things in different contexts. Yes. And uh, I was wondering if you could give an example of um, a different meaning outside of the of the khandas. What you mean by well, that? Yeah, there are so many different usages for this word sankara. That's uh, in general. Uh, uh, I think an important way of uh, dealing with these uh, Pali terms. Uh, I don't know of, uh, who came up with the idea that we have to find one consistent uh, rendering uh, for a word that's used so um, so differently. That we have the problem not only with sankara, by the way, also with uh, another very big, which <laughs> was, by the way, on my on my preparation list, but it didn't make it into the talk. Term dukkha is also one of those. Uh, a terms that is uh, simply used for different purposes. And if we confuse those different uh, usages, we, we end up in quite a, a confusion. So with Sankara, here we have uh, Sankara as one of the five Kandas, and it has to be noted that uh, there's a possibility of Kandas uh, plus uh, uh, clinging and identification uh, causing suffering, but there's also a set of five khandas without identification, without ignorance. Just, let's just think about the Buddha or, or his in, enlightened disciples. They also still have a working set of these five khandas, but um, they no longer um, uh, cause uh, suffering. <clears throat> so that means here already we can see that Sankara has to be in this context, in a Kanda context, a term that can be also, uh, that can be used neutrally in a neutral way for, uh, awakened people. Because they also have, uh, Sankara on board still. So that already shows us that this Sankara here, uh, uh, must be a different Sankara, like, for example, the Sankara we find in the, uh, Paticca Samupada, uh, list in the uh, um, uh, dependent co-arising where we find the expression that sankaras are directly um, produced or caused by ignorance. There can't be the same two sankaras. And even the Buddha, when he saw his arms bowl, he got the sankara of uh, maybe I should go on arms round but there was uh, certainly no ignorance involved. So here we have to distinguish already. Or oh, another, another, another familiar uh, um, occurrence of the term Sankara is in the 16 steps of uh, breathing, mindfulness of breathing. And there again, are, uh, uh, for me in my practice, it's useful to, to reconsider what it means in this context when we breathe in and out in order to calm the bodily sankara, right? So that also, again, shouldn't mean that uh, 
uh, arahants can't do breathing meditation because they have no sankhas left to calm. Uh, it also uh, might mean a little bit uh, uh, some ha have a different nuance than mm, the sankhara we we got to know here in the in the context of the kanda. Mm. Okay, thank you. That's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, if you're interested in this topic, please uh, start an investigation in the different meanings of the term dukkha. You'll be um, surprised wow. uh, <laughs> how, how entangled our uh, understanding of the Dhamma can get if we uh, confuse those different uh, dukkha interpretations. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um. I got a message in the chat from uh, Vedana. Uh, he wanted yes. to uh, ask, uh, can Bhante talk more about Rupa Kanda in relation uh, with uh, Vedana? Uh, so often our feelings show on our bodies, like feeling goosebumps when scared. How mm. can we see the gap that comes in between the two that can help us see them as two different Kandas and not just one single entity? Mm -hmm. Ah, yeah, that's a good question, and uh, a lot of a lot of this um, um, un, unclear the uh, borders uh, 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 between the two comes from our the use of our uh, etymology. So, whether we say sensation or feeling, uh, it, none of our usual uh, common usage words really. Uh, hits uh, uh, the meaning of Vedana. Um, now, me not being a native English speaker, I, I, I tried to avoid feeling on purpose and came up with sensation as an alternative because the big difference between Rupa and Vedana is that the one, uh, mm -hmm. namely Rupa, belongs to the material side. So it's connected with the four elements and what the four elements contribute to our experience, uh, whereas uh, Vedana is uh, strictly a mental factor. It's listed in on the uh, Nama Rupa uh, 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 when the, the Venerable Sariputta explains the Nama factors of the Nama Rupa. Um, <clears throat> the Vedana is one of those. So here in at in the context of Nama versus Rupa, it's clearly not on the Rupa side. It's clearly not part of the material aspect of experience, but the mental one. So um, whether we say feeling or sensation, it doesn't really hit it. Because uh, in my understanding, Vedana is that very part of our experience that just attributes a pleasant, unpleasant, or neutralness to every... Uh, uh, contact. So if we if we have goosebumps uh, in certain situations, we might feel this uh, being pleasant, pleasant, having goosebumps, and in other situations, we might uh, uh, view it as unpleasant. It's uh, just uh, how the 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 storage of our conditionings. Uh, 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 view the certain sense contact and attribute them according 
Vedana to it. Uh, so, Bhante, that was my question. So, can I ask the following question? So, during sa- yeah, so during samadhi, uh, uh, when the, you are in the deep uh, absorption, then you feel some goosebumps and like some some mm-hmm. some uh, your body is like your you know it's very the feathers touching. So, is it uh, just to be ignored because it's a pleasant sensation, not to be uh, feeling? good about it just to ignore and keep moving forward right? uh, well well in the uh, uh, in an instance where we practice inside meditation that would be the way to go but on on the other hand if you practice uh, tranquility and uh, the pleasant peaceful states um sometimes we we use those experiences to uh to develop uh, the, uh, uh, the calm of the mind. Yes, because you get stuck at that. <clears throat> if you get stuck for a long time in the same, that means that you are doing something uh, n- not right. So you need to go into insight afterwards, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, insight is the is the key, and um, uh, or, uh, we can uh, we can prepare a huge golden key, but never use it to open our prison doors. And uh, that will not be very helpful, right? So, yes. as as little samadhi as necessary, and as much insight as possible. That's maybe as that's my my basic meditation outlook. But uh, again, we that we could we, we could talk for a long time about what uh, right of. Um, Samadhi, Sama Samadhi is because I've, uh, for, to me personally, I've, uh, I view it to be much more important that our Samadhi experiences are incorporated into a, a holistic development of the mind towards uh, letting go than chasing uh, more and more intense happiness experiences because by themselves they are not uh, really helping us uh, getting to the aim the Buddha wanted us to attain. Exactly. Thank you so much. I have a question about consciousness. Um, let me. I have to. I have two places here. Um, could you please um, uh, explain about uh, what you said that there is no consciousness that is not linked to one of the candas? If there is no, um, that's what I understand at least by mm-hmm. what you said. So there is no consciousness separated um, by itself. Um, mm-hmm. And my my question, um, it's because when you get to uh, uh, Jana, for instance, yeah, yes. there is no body. Huh. At, at a certain point, there is no body. There is just consciousness. Just you know, just well, pure. I would dis. I would disagree. To be honest. Oh. There's, I mean, uh, 
pure pure consciousness is is not something the Buddha would talk about. Uh, consciousness is always uh, dependently arisen. Maybe um, um, it got lost a bit in my explanation. Dependently arisen on the six sense bases. That's what I was talking about today in this uh, Dhamma talk. And there's no difference between the samadhi and uh, not samadhi because this, the the body does not vanish. I mean, the, the, that's obvious. The, otherwise, the, the, your meditation cushion would become empty if if someone passes by. So your body is 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 there, all right? You might not experience it in the way you used you used to experience it. Right, meaning your your the fo- the focus of your attention is somewhere else, and so uh, uh, most probably, if you talk about the experience of some special kind of consciousness, uh, that would mean that the focus of your attention is resting on a certain perception, the perception pure consciousness, for example, but the 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 mind consciousness uh, holding this uh, perception is still connected to the body because the mind is also connected to the body. Mind mind itself is nothing else but the software of our uh, thinking organ. So that's oh. at least how I understand it, right? So, yeah, no, that makes sense now. Yeah, so the, the, the only thing is that we, we don't perceive the body. We don't have the sensation of the body. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. The body, I mean, of course, the consciousness is attached to the body, but uh, then the consciousness would be attached to, would be linked to, in this case, to the rupa. Well, um, conscious. I wouldn't say that consciousness is directly linked to rupa. Consciousness is always uh, interrelated with the other four khandas. If you want to now leave uh, talking about the connectedness between consciousness and the sense spaces and want to go into the interrelatedness between consciousness and the other khandas, there's also an interrelatedness because consciousness per definition is um, being aware of something, being conscious of something. So we can't possibly imagine to be conscious without being conscious of something that would mean to be unconscious completely right but there's one there's one uh, particular exception it's not about a samadhi mind which uh, as we i think clarified um this uh, the consciousness in samadhi can find uh, a very subtle and or uh, compared to our usual ways to go through the world and experience the world, um, unusual perceptions, right? But our aim as meditators is rather to get uh, consciousness, lose its interest in um, taking up and grasping the other khandas. That doesn't mean that this consciousness is then not uh, uh, um, caused by uh, our sense bases are still interrelated with the other khandas, but what we try to attain is a non-grasping mind, right? And this, um, I, 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 for my own purposes in my own practice, I came up with a different 
rendering to this term grasping because grasping always suggests that there is someone or something that that is that does the grasping so when you talk about uh, the grasping of the five khandas we easily imagine like a mysterious uh, entity grasping the five khandas and then again we end up with some uh, 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 mysterious unexplainable uh, 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 entity. So I'd, I'd prefer to call it a, a, a being a glued or a sticking together of the five khandas. So the grasping all happens within the context of the five khandas. They, they intertwine. So like we, we discussed earlier about uh, the difficulty of um, uh, working with the impermanence of perceptions. And I said it's because sometimes it's so strongly attached to a certain Vedana. And that's exactly what I mean. For the, un- the, the unawoken mind, uh, these khandas are so uh, intrinsically interwoven. They, they, they seem all to, they, they seem to um, mm, uh, justify each other. And so they, they build a, a, a structure. And what we try to achieve is by under, by, but we can't ever really separate them, but we can, uh, uh, make our focus rest on one of those, right? Like if you have, let's say you have a, uh, a room with five, uh, uh, lively children, you can't really separate them and say, you stay here and you stay there. They will just jump all over the place, but still you could focus on one of them. Maybe you know this, this child is sick and needs a little extra care. You, so you could focus on that one child uh, even while they to jump around. <clears throat> and at the same time, uh, at, at, in the same way, we, we try to understand from each kanda um, how it really is. It's impermanent. It's con- conditionally arisen. And therefore, uh, uh, it, loses, it, it loses its stickiness that it usually would contribute to a nice compact uh, feeling of a, of a solid self. Right. So uh, what you try to achieve is not a, a higher form of consciousness. That's uh, nothing to do with the other ka- uh, kandas anymore, but a state where consciousness and the other kandas are no longer uh, driven into each other uh, by this force of, uh, of desire which uh, makes us long for some stability and some self. Thank you. It was was a very um, confused, um, you know, understanding um, because, uh, you know, reading about uh, there is consciousness and there is uh, all the other uh, kandas, and but they are so now it's. I understand what you mean. It's very clear. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I got something from uh, Pri- Prinana. Uh, could you please request Bonte to talk more about exploring a rising and passing away of consciousness? Specifically, 
and how it is different uh, compared to the other condos. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. Basically, it's not different at all, but um, it needs a little bit more raffiness from our side uh, uh, because uh, consciousness is so much the the carrier of our self-illusion, right? So uh, I mentioned a little bit already in the talk that there's a strong connection, especially in this regards, between... Uh, consciousness and perception because um, we have a perception about consciousness and the perception we have about consciousness is that is that it is our uh, that the core of ourselves that's kind of the awareness that always uh, stays put whatever we do in our life and that that's the thing we have to crack open and so I would recommend anyone who's, and basically anyone should, but anyone who's now specifically interested in um, comprehending the impermanence of consciousness, um, uh, st steal your mind uh, in uh, training uh, uh, knowledge about uh, insight into uh, perception, because that's the key there. We have to, we have to understand the, the layer of perception that's clouding the impermanence of consciousness. And uh, we can also do some small tricks or experiments uh, on uh, binding, uh, kind of um, intentionally binding consciousness to a certain uh, uh, perception. I, I used to um, use the breathing for that. You can develop your own little method out of it. You, uh, you could try to focus on uh, now mainly body consciousness while you breathe in. And at this time, you're allowed to really fully absorb the, how it feels to identify with this uh, um, body consciousness that's connected to breathing in, which would usually feel like now, I am the one who is breathing in. I'm the one who feels this in-breath, right? Um, and we try to, to, to internalize this feeling of uh, I am the in-breather. And then when we breathe out, we don't do the same again, but we rather observe that this one particular consciousness of I am the one who experiences the in-breath is no longer present when we breathe out. Right? Uh, if, if that's too close, we can we can uh, um, go further back into the past. Maybe let's say um, uh, we could try to remember the consciousness we had when we started this summer meeting. How did it feel? Can we maybe something uh, something else happened today which uh, left an impression in your mind? And try to remember how it felt to have that particular sense consciousness at that point of time. And where is it now? So we can see individual consciousness arises and passes away. But the, the, the fact that consciousness is part of our experience, that's a constant. So we don't have to fight that and, and, and try to have 
a moment of being unconscious to prove that consciousness is impermanent. Consciousness is impermanent, and at the same time, it's permanently part of the whole set of experience. So we have to we have to aim at the right impermanence to crack it. Does it make any sense? Yes, it does. Thank you so much, Andy. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I got something from uh, Prinana. Uh, could you please request Bonte to talk more about exploring a rising and passing away of consciousness, specifically, and how it is different uh, compared to the other khandas? Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. Basically, it's not different at all, but um, it needs a little bit more raffinesse from our side uh, uh, because uh, consciousness is so much the the carrier of our self-illusion, right? So uh, I mentioned a little bit already in the talk that there's a strong connection, especially in this regards, between uh, consciousness and perception because um, we have a perception about consciousness and the perception we have about consciousness is that is that it is our uh, that the core of ourselves that's kind of the awareness that always uh, stays put whatever we do in our life and that that's the thing we have to crack open and so I would recommend anyone who's, and basically anyone should, but anyone who's now specifically interested in um, comprehending the impermanence of consciousness, um, uh, steal your mind uh, in uh, training uh, uh, knowledge or insight into uh, perception, because that's the key there. We have to we have to understand the the layer of perception that's clouding the impermanence of consciousness. And uh, we can also do some small tricks or experiments uh, on uh, binding, uh, kind of um, intentionally binding consciousness to a certain uh, uh, perception. I, I used to um, use the breathing for that. You can develop your own little method out of it. You, uh, you could try to focus on uh, now mainly body consciousness while you breathe in. And at this time, you're allowed to really fully absorb the how it feels to identify with this uh, um, body consciousness that's connected to breathing in, which would usually feel like now, I am the one who is breathing in. I'm the one who feels this in-breath, right? Um, and we try to, to, to internalize this feeling of uh, I am the in-breather. And then when we breathe out, we don't do the same again, but we rather observe that this one particular consciousness of I am the one who experiences the in-breath is no longer present when we breathe out. Right? Uh, if, if that's too close, we can we can uh, um, go further back into the past, 
maybe let's say um, uh, we could try to remember the consciousness we had when we started this summer meeting. How did it feel? Can we maybe something uh, something else happened today which uh, left an impression in your mind and try to remember how it felt to have that particular sense consciousness at that point of time. And where is it now? So we can see individual consciousness arises and passes away. But the, the, the fact that consciousness is part of our experience, that's a constant. So we don't have to fight that and, and, and try to have a moment of being unconscious to prove that consciousness is impermanent. Consciousness is impermanent. And at the same time, it's permanently part of the whole set of experience. So we have to, we have to aim at the right impermanence to crack it. Does it make any sense? Yes, it does. Thank you so much, Monday. Thank you. You're welcome. Getting, getting, getting dark there, Vontae. <laughs> All right. Um, also, we have a question from, yeah, one more here from Vanessa. Uh, yeah, it, oh, sorry. Vinyanang Anidasanang, I got that now. Uh, is experienced as an object of perception, a question mark. Uh, or does our consciousness become without surface when it loses interest in the contest? Uh, um, this become without a surface. I would say it 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 uh, becomes uh, uh, uninterested in any meaning. So if that's meant by surface, then all right. But I wouldn't say that. Um, well, it's really weird. Um, uh, dancing along the the edges of uh, uh, of language here. Because of, uh, we could, in a certain way, you could say that Anidasana, the translation, uh, uh, non, uh, uh, usually it's translated non-manifestative, but that's a bit too, I find this a bit too cheesy. Uh, literally, it would rather mean uh, non-depicturing consciousness, which is a description for uh, liberated consciousness. And that simply means consciousness that has lost its interest in um, playing with the other khandas, so to say, and thereby also losing its uh, uh, power to create something um, out of its union with the five khandas. Usually when the five khandas get together uh, and grasping is involved, uh, we get a certain product out of this, and that's called bhava or being. Uh, so this being is not just a neutral term; it's it's a it's a, a charged term, charged with uh, ignorance, because uh, uh, being is a state we create by um, um, identifying with these khandas, right? So um, when I have the feeling I am someone and I have certain attributes and this and that, and I use all the khandas to, to, to create a certain image of self. Um, that's when, uh, the vinyana 
is uh, creating a picture, right? Um, using using uh, Rupa and Vedana and Sanya and Sankara to paint the picture. So, but once uh, we understood that within these five khandas, there's nothing to gain. Such a picture is not really of a lasting quality. Um, they, they simply don't uh, stick together as nicely. And the picture doesn't really um, appear any longer. So in uh, that itself, uh, again, can involve uh, perception. But at the same time, perception is no longer of such a high interest that it creates the new feeling of 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 a me in all that. Did that satisfy the question? The questioner. Um. Yes. Um, we hope so. I'm not, I, I'm not sure if she, she has a response or not. Um, are you up for one more question or, or should we? Why don't we take, yeah. we'll, take, we'll take one more question and then uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Um, okay. This is from Kath. Uh, could you please ask Bonte, how can one seeing the impermanence, non-self and unsatisfactory state of an endeavor of an endeavor, but needs to pursue it, e.g. searching for a new job, uh, approaching mm-hmm. in a way that diminishes craving and suffering? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. It basically means how how to move in the world with this, uh, with this uh, knowledge, because it's basically a knowledge that um, finally will lead us out of this world. Um, so we could answer that on different levels uh, that the most straightforward level would be always prioritize the true nature of things and um, lead a meditative life. But of course, that's maybe not very helpful if we have to uh, move around, move about in our life. So I would suggest that um, try to incorporate the insight into impermanence and non-self into our worldly endeavors. Now, let's say you, you're applying for a new job. And so usually people do that with a lot of anticipation and anxiety and hopes uh, getting up and already imagining how wonderful it would be to have this stable job or whatever, um, uh, 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 creating scenarios in the mind, uh, which, um, sell them some fake uh, um, mm, uh, permanency feelings or self uh, indulgences and so we can we can move about our daily life in the world also more liberatedly if we um, bring a certain um, uh, a feeling of relaxedness or, or uninvolvedness uninvolvement um, to the table when it comes to such topics, right? And maybe <clears throat> if the job we we uh, apply for is completely uh, uh, completely um, um, 
contrary to these uh, insights, then maybe it's uh, anyways better we, we find another job that's more suitable, that um, maybe even appreciates uh, a person in the workforce who's uh, laid back and not easily excited and um, who has a, a, a solid foundation in uh, uh, a certain uh, self-awareness, even if that self-awareness means insight in non-self. Hmm. All right. So, um, thank you very much for this invitation. Thanks for uh, sharing this, uh, your uh, Dhamma space, um, for letting me uh, talk and uh, explain a few of my uh, Dhamma insights to you. It was a pleasure sharing uh, them with you. And I wish you all the best on your journey to uh, ultimate liberation. And maybe one one day our paths will cross again. And until that moment, I wish you all the best. 